Hi, and thanks for listening to another audio podcast from Creekside Community Church, Narangba, Queensland. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.creekside.org.au. Well, it's, um, it's great to be here today. My name is Mark. I'm one of the people on the speaking team at uh, Creekside. And just, um, just want to just take some time too to um, honour Vern and his wife, Trish, who actually started the church here about maybe 12 years ago. And uh, to think that there's well over 700 students on campus now. We've got a cafe. Uh, we've got interseeds set up. It's an incredible privilege to be part of. So it's great to be here. Um, I did not come from a Christian home. Is anyone like me? They've not come from a Christian background whatsoever. There's lots of actually, there's probably a lot more of you here today than that. And um, I remember going to a mate of mine's uh, house on Christmas Day. He was from a Christian home. And I went over to his house about 5 o'clock Christmas afternoon and I asked him what he got for Christmas, and he said he got some board games. So I'm thinking he got like the latest version of Risk or Monopoly or Pictionary or Taboo or whatever it would be. I said, oh, what did you get? And because he was from a Christian family, things were a bit different. I was not from a Christian family. He said, well, I don't know what you call it. It's kind of like a Christian version of Monopoly. And I'm like, oh, so what does that mean? He said, well, instead of, you know, I guess, you know, like trying to get really rich and make everyone else bankrupt, we've just kind of got to share our possessions and work together. And he's like, do you want to play? And I'm like, no, that sounds really boring. That sounds like a terrible game to me. I don't know. What else did you have for Christmas? And he says, now this is going to sound offensive. I'm probably going to offend someone here. He says to me, well, I also got like a Bible trivia book. Now, there's nothing wrong with Bible trivia books. We probably have lots of Bible trivia books in Carmichael College and Carmichael Kids. You might even have one with your child right now. That's all fine. I said, okay, let's have a look at the Bible trivia book. This is what we do in a Christian home on Christmas Day. And he says to me, oh, yeah, let's have a look. We turn to about page three, and I'm not even making this up. This sounds ridiculous. This is actually what it said. Complete the puzzle and find out how old Abraham was when he was circumcised. And I'm like, what the heck am I? And I'm like, this is so weird. Why would anyone become a Christian? But anyway, um, we are going to actually do a bit of Bible trivia today. Are you ready? Are you excited? So if you've been offended, I'm going to make it up to you. Now, I don't want you to get too pumped, but I have a chunky Kit Kat for the winner. Are you ready? All you need to do is be able to quote the most well-known Bible verse in the whole Bible. Does anyone think they can have a crack? Oh, here we go. Okay, what do you think it is? I'll give you the microphone. John 3.16. Uh, yep, but can you quote it? Oh, here we go. Yeah, she's up for it. Yep. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Yep. Ooh, there you go. Whoever believes in him will not perish but live. For him. Oh, there you go. You can, you can share that. There you go. So it's up there on the screen. So Now, that's exciting. Well done. Um, but I actually have a harder Bible trivia question. And because it's harder, I don't just have the chunky kick out. I have the full-blown. Full Are you ready? Are you pumped? You're excited? Here's the thing. You have to quote the verse after John 3.16. Does anyone think they can have a go? Oh, everyone's gotten very nervous. Oh, here we go. Okay. I'll give you a hint. It starts with John 3.17. So, okay, what do we got? Uh, for God did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Oh, wow. Massive round of applause. There you go. Can, can I just check? Was that going up on the screen before you said that? Or No, no, no. That was good. Okay, good. Actually, one of my mates, when I was at Bible college, which is kind of like uni for the Bible, um, 
Anyway, um, yeah, actually, one of my mates was learning to speak in churches. I felt so sorry for him. First time he'd ever got up to speak, and we were there kind of support him. And he tried to quote John 3.16 from memory, and he stuffed it, and he just got it completely wrong. And all these elderly people were just looking at him as if, well, you're never going to. Anyway, he's a lovely guy, and he's a fantastic pastor now, so he made it. So um, we are going to be looking at the, the heart behind this passage today, John 3.17. For God did not come into the world to condemn the world. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. A lot of the time, no matter what you hear in the media, no matter what you might experience, sometimes we can feel as if God has come to judge, God has come to condemn, God has come to look down upon people and to frown upon people. But actually God's heart, God's passion is not to condemn, not to look down upon people, not to alienate people, but to be reconciled with people, to save people, to rescue people, to bring people back into his family. And today, this commissioning service, we want to celebrate all that is going on on this campus at Carmichael Kids, Carmichael College, Creekside Cafe, Interseed Ministries, and at Creekside Church. We want to celebrate everything that's going on in, on this campus and beyond. And we want to celebrate what God is doing. And we want to say how grateful we are to the many, many staff and volunteers who don't just tick the box, who don't just rock up and do whatever, but go above and beyond day in, day out, not just to do their job, but to express this heart and this desire. But as we are at the commissioning, it's not just about celebrating, it is about reminding ourselves why we exist. And Jesus didn't say he'd just come to save the world. He went on to say in John 20, 21, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. In the same way that God has sent Jesus into the world, not to condemn, but to save, Jesus is now saying to us, and he has said to us, as the Father has sent me, I am now sending you. We have been left here as the hands and feet of Jesus to love people, to care for them, to look after the poor, to care for refugees, to take care of the environment, to care for the sick, to educate the uneducated, and ultimately to reconcile people to their Father in heaven by putting their faith in Jesus. So what we want to do today is look at the topic, how do we lead people to Jesus? Now, often when I speak here, I I sometimes have a whiteboard and I I get to draw a diagram. And I know people are very excited about my diagrams. It's often a bit of a hint. Sometimes people come up to me afterwards, ask me if they can use the diagrams. Are they copyright? They're not copyright. They're free to use. You're welcome. Thank you. Now, today, I don't want you to get too excited. I don't have a whiteboard. Don't get too upset. I'm not going to construct a diagram on the spot I have a previously prepared diagram on the PowerPoint. Aren't you so excited? It's in colour and it has moving pictures. I know. There you go. You could clap that if you want. I mean, I would be. That's a big deal. So maybe you could clap when the pictures start moving. That could be the big moment. Okay, are you ready? According to Christianity, this is basically the message. This is a diagram I've stolen from someone else. Basically, there is, almost fell over then, so that would have been tragic. So, um, there is basically, um, between us and God, there is a gulf that stands between us and God. And the Bible teaches that that gulf is created by my sin and your sin. All the wrong things that we've done. And there's no amount of effort, no amount of energy, no amount of trying, no amount of persistence, no amount of faithfulness that can breach that gap. 
The good news is that on the other side of this gulf, we have a Father in heaven who longs to be reconciled with his lost children, with his children who've run far from him. So he bridges the gap by sending his son not to condemn the world, but to save the world. So Jesus is sent in the world to die on the cross, to pay for our sin in full, so that, are you ready? This is it. Don't miss it. If you miss it, you're going to go home disappointed. So that those who put their faith in him will cross over from death to life. There you go. Hey. I'm not even kidding. That took a long time. It's called custom animation. I'm willing to show you how to do it. It's not as easy as it looks. So what we want to do today is we want to talk about how people... Like us, those of us who are part of this community or those of us who are Christians, how people can help those who are in the process of exploring Christianity cross over from death to life. Now, to be honest, this is actually not that hard. We often complicate. There's really three steps. Step number one, tell people about their sin. Step number two, tell people about Jesus. And step number three, invite people to place their faith in Jesus. That's it. If we just did more of that, there'd be more people becoming Christians, more people reconciled with our Father in heaven. Now, some of you might say, well, it's not that simple. Like, it gets a bit more complicated than that. Um, You know, people aren't always that interested. You know, there's pushback. Sometimes people don't want to talk about Jesus. The good news is, is that Jesus has said, actually, it is simple. He wrote, um, John's biography of Jesus says, um, this is where Jesus is speaking, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields, they are ripe for the harvest. We sit there and think people are not interested, that people are uninterested, that people are not keen to become Christians, but actually Jesus is saying people are very willing and very open to explore Christianity. In Matthew 9, he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, it's not that people aren't interested. It's not that people aren't open. People long to experience the love of our Father in heaven. The problem is that those of us who are Christians are too reluctant to share. So we're going to do a bit of an activity today. We want to get good at this. This is part of our commissioning. This is a bit of practice. We're going to do an activity. I don't want you to get too excited, but you're going to have to stand up. In a second, I'm going to ask you to stand up. Go and find someone that you don't know very well or you don't really know at all. And we're just going to practice the three steps. You're going to walk up to someone. Step number one, you're going to tell them about their sin. Hopefully you can find something that's fairly offensive and very, you know, very intrusive. I want you to tell people about how sinful they are. Tell them about Jesus and then invite them to become a Christian. So on the count of three, we're going to stand. No, we're not going to do this at all, right? So that would be full on. Was anyone stressed? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah, this is meant to be an environment where you can come and feel safe. And I just freaked everyone out. Here's the problem. The problem is this. Even though in theory that is the heart of what needs to happen, it's probably not quite as simple as that. Let me see if I explain. In Acts 17, we read about Paul. He's a church leader. He's just been proclaiming this incredible message of Jesus. And at the very end of this message, this is what we read about. It'll just come up on the screen, Acts 17. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some sneered. So some people are just not interested. Even though Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, even though Jesus says that many are willing and open to come, there are some that are just not open. Some sneered 
Others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. They're not ready to become a Christian on the spot. But they are open. They are interested. And if you're saying today, hey, listen, I'm not necessarily a Christian. I'm kind of trying to figure this whole thing out. We want you to know this is a place where you can come and you can explore and you can ask questions. You can hear us again on this subject. But you don't necessarily need to become a Christian the first time you come. You don't even need to become a Christian at all. You're welcome to keep coming. Ultimately, we'd love for you to experience what Jesus has for you. But there's no pressure for that. And thirdly, there's another group. It says at that point, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul, and I, that is Jesus, and believed. They ultimately came to realize, I am a sinner. I need to somehow find a way to bridge the gap between me and God. Thank God that he bridged the gap on my behalf. All I need to do is trust in Jesus and he saves me. Now that's incredibly good news. What that means is this. This diagram that we've got up is probably not as thorough as it needs to be. Let me see if I can explain. Rather than say, Mark Middleberg says this. A lot of people are not at the edge of the cliff looking at the, the gulf that stands between them and God. But actually, a lot of people are a long way back. And as they are further back, there are a number of barriers that stand between them and God. It could be that they've never experienced the love of a Christian community. They've, they've asked questions of Christians and they've been given oversimplified answers to very complicated difficult questions. It could be that they've had Christians judge them and look down upon them and frown on them because they haven't been able to meet certain standards. It could be a number of things. And what Mark Middleberg says is this, actually, in order to lead someone to Jesus, we must first lead someone towards Jesus. So as we lead someone towards Jesus, we bring them towards the edge of the cliff they then begin to see the sin that stands between them and God. They come to believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, that he is the bridge between them and God. And then they put their faith in Jesus and cross over from death to life. That is a more complete picture of how people come to faith. Now, if this is true, what I want to do today is look at some implications. The first is this. Just because we haven't led anyone to Jesus doesn't mean that God hasn't used us. Just because we haven't led anyone to Jesus doesn't mean that God hasn't used us. Now, I do want you to do an activity today. It involves a balloon. It involves everyone standing up. There's going to be some cool music playing in the background. You do not need to speak to anyone else, though. Is that cool? Everyone's still stressed about the last activity. This is what's going to happen. I'm going to throw this balloon up in the air. In a second, we're all going to stand up. All the men, you're going to try and get this balloon to hit that white wall over that side. All the women, we're going to try and uh, get the balloon to hit that wall on that side. Are you ready? 100% participation. So everyone stand up. Find someone who's on your team. Give them a high five. Say, okay, are you ready? Righto. Maybe do some trash talking. Now this is full contact. Are you ready? Okay. One, two, three, go. Okay. Oh. Okay. Here we go. Oh, yeah, here we go. Oh, it's gonna happen. So. 
Oh, almost there. Feel free to move if you need to move. Don't be afraid to move around. I'm yeah! Okay, righto. Okay, grab a seat. What music was that, Darren? Was that, well, that, was, that was some interesting music. Anyway, okay, so the guys won. Is that clear? Is everyone happy the guys won? Are you sure the guys won? Okay, so I didn't see who hit the last hit. Who was the person who hit the last hit? Sorry? Oh, Jeff. Jeff? Okay, right. Now, I thought Jeff won. Did Jeff win or did the guys win? No, no, no. But Jeff hit the ball. The last, he was the last person to hit the ball. Like, didn't Jeff win? It was a team. Isn't that interesting? No one says Jeff won. We all say the guys won. All the girls are upset, but that's okay. Guys have got to win at some stage in life. Finally, we win something. Sorry, I'm going to get in trouble for that, even that. Okay, so this is what I know. When it comes to helping people become Christians, we so often look at the person who made the last touch, the last hit, and all the energy and focus goes on and say, oh, that person was amazing. God used them in incredible ways. They helped this person become a Christian. And what we ignore is the fact that this is actually a team effort. The idea of becoming a Christian is not just crossing over from death to life. It is a journey. And God uses many, many people along the journey. Um, the Apostle Paul, church leader, wrote to the church at Corinth and he said this. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each task. What he's saying is there's a bunch of people in the church at Corinth who are saying, well, listen, Paul, we're not sure if we like you as much as Apollos, and we're not sure that we like Apollos as much as this guy or this girl, whoever. We've all got our favorite leaders who do different things or whatever. And Paul's saying, listen, why are we comparing some leaders have been gifted in different ways. Some people have been given different opportunities. Why are we comparing? And he goes on to say in verse 6, I planted the seed, Paul's talking about himself, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. In other words, what he's saying is this was a team effort. It's not just Apollos, it's not just Paul, it's not just either of us. In fact, there's lots of different people who've been used by God in someone's journey from start to finish. And God is the one who's orchestrating all of that. So when I sit there and you sit there and you say, well, I haven't made the last touch. I haven't actually been the person who's led someone from death to life across the line. I can't be used by God. This whole mission of seeing people come to faith, I'm not very good at it. I feel like a disappointment. I feel like I'm not doing my job. I'm a terrible volunteer. I'm a waste of space. That is rubbish. God loves you and believes in you. He's left us here for a purpose. The moment God doesn't have a purpose for us, He'll take us home. But if we are Christians and we have a place in heaven, the reason God has left us here is because He has a purpose and mission for us. And whilst we may not have been the person who leads people across the line from death to life, does not mean that God is not using us or has not used us. We all have different roles to play. Several years ago, I was, um, I was uh, friends with a mate who had a, like an apartment um, at Chermside and uh, I used to hang out with him quite a lot. Across the hall in another apartment were some other girls from our church and there was about three or four girls who lived in that apartment. They were all Christians except for one. I'll call her Sally, that wasn't her name, but Sally was from another country 
And she was not a Christian, but she started coming to our church. So the girl said, would you like to come and live with us while you're in Australia? So she would often, um, you know, she'd be talking to the girls about different things, talking about faith. But every now and again, she'd find out that I was over at my mate's house and there was a few of us guys over there. So she'd come over and visit. And to be honest, we'd mostly be talking about rugby league or whatever it was, uh, the latest music and the latest movies. But because we're Christians, we'd also talk about church and we'd also talk about faith. We'd also talk about Jesus. And she would be listening in as she would listen in at church and listening with her friends in her apartment. One particular day while I was, you know, just, we were just talking, I really felt like, you know, we were talking about Jesus and I felt like the Holy Spirit just prompted me to just stop and said, don't push too hard with her. She's willing to come. She's willing to ask questions. She's willing to be part of the community. Don't, now's not the time. Don't push too hard. So I just stopped. A week later, I was over at my mate's house again and she came running over. She said, oh, hey, how's everyone going? And she's hearing us talk. And we're watching the footy and then we're talking about faith and we're talking about Jesus and all sorts of different things. And I don't know how to describe this. This is maybe a bit foreign to some people. But I felt like the Spirit of God in me convicted me that I need to stop right now and ask her, do you want to become a Christian? And it was a weird thing to do, but I literally said, hey, Sally, um, I know this is weird. I don't want to freak you out. I don't want to pressure you. But would you just like to become a Christian now? And she's like, yes, that's what I want. I want to become a Christian. I want what you have. So we explained this whole message. We went through it. We'd already been through it, but we went through it one more time. I said, listen, hey, listen, be really, you don't have to do this, but maybe you might like to pray. And, and, and I, I actually said, listen, your roommate, she speaks, you know, she was from Germany, this girl. I said, she speaks German. Why don't we go back over with your roommate and she can pray with you in German? So I took her back over. Sally um, was left with her roommate and I, I left them. I went back about five, ten minutes. They'd been praying and they, she basically prayed to put her faith in Jesus and receive Jesus into her life in German. Ten minutes later, she runs over and she's like, you know, she's just ecstatic. And she goes, I can't believe it's free. I can't believe this is free. I've got to ring my mum and dad. They don't know. I didn't know it was free. And she's just raging, not raging, raving about how amazing God is and what Jesus has done for her. Now, here's the thing. Myself and her German roommate, we were like the last touch. But we were not the only part of the process. There were many, 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 many people who were involved in leading people and leading Sally towards Jesus. We just happened to be there at the edge of the cliff and were able to invite her to cross over from death to life. This is a team sport. Is this making sense? This is incredibly encouraging. The second implication is this. It will take all sorts of gifts to lead people to Jesus. It will take all sorts of gifts to lead people to Jesus. The Bible teaches that the moment a person becomes a Christian, they receive at least one spiritual gift. Actually, there's many things that happen. We receive forgiveness of sins, the Holy Spirit, adoption to God's family, but we receive at least one spiritual gift. Again, Paul writes to the church at Corinth and he says this, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given the Spirit, through the Spirit, a message of wisdom. 
to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between the Spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all, of its in, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Now, here's the go. One of the gifts, which I don't think is listed here, is the gift of evangelism. By the way, there's many lists in the Bible. There's about three or four. And I just think really they're examples of the kinds of way in which God gifts people. One of the ones that is mentioned is the gift of evangelism. That is the gift of being able to help people cross over from death to life, being able to stand at the edge of the cliff, waiting people to come to the edge of the cliff and saying, look, I'll hold your hand as you cross over. That is the gift of evangelism. That is probably my only gift. I've been involved in helping lots of people cross over. I've not been involved in helping many people be led towards Jesus. But here's the go. Missiologists say probably at best, 10% of Christians have the gift of evangelism. Now, if God's God's heart and passion is for people to be reconciled with their Father in heaven, wouldn't you think that God would give every single Christian the gift of evangelism? Wouldn't that make sense? And in fact, when you do more reading, missiologists actually say, whilst we think it could be as high as 10%, it's probably as low as 1%. Many would say it could even be less than 1% of people have the gift of evangelism. So if that's the case, why didn't God give more people the gift of evangelism? Why doesn't he give it to every single person? And I believe it's because of this. We don't need everyone with the gift of evangelism. My dad uh, played AFL. He's my stepdad, so unfortunately I got none of his genetic code whatsoever. He played for Fitzroy. Uh, which is really the Lions now. He was captain of Queensland when he was 19. I played D-grade mixed-touch football. That's what I've done, right? Now, when I was growing up, I had to polish his trophies. He's about 20 or 30 trophies. I had one trophy from karate, and I'm pretty sure they gave that to me as a sympathy vote, right? It's not even real. By the way, you, you know you can buy trophies. Anyway, I just it's just been a later thought in life, like, Anyway, maybe my dad made it all up. When my dad played AFL, you would expect him to be super, super tall, right? So he could be a full forward and and mark the ball and then kick really good goals. But that was not him. He He was smaller. He was fast. He was scrappy. He was skillful. They didn't put him in the forwards. He wasn't meant to be a forward. They didn't need him to be tall. They didn't need to be him to be able to kick goals. Now, in AFL, who kicks the goals? It's the full forwards. Every now and again, a midfielder may run through and kick a goal. Maybe very occasionally, a back will run the full length of the field and kick a goal. But they don't need everyone to be a full forward. Full forwards need to be tall, they need to be able to mark the ball, and they need to be able to kick goals. Midfielders need to be skillful and fast. Backs need to be able to to stop the ball being marked by the forwards on the opposition, and they need to be able to block. That's the reality of the different parts of AFL. We don't need everyone to have the gift of evangelism. We need some people who have the gift of hospitality, 
who are going to invite people into their home, love them, serve them, help people belong before they believe so that they could be led towards Jesus with the ultimate goal that the evangelist can lead them to Jesus. Is this making sense? We don't need everyone to be an evangelist. We need some people with the gift of mercy who can sit with people who are going through hard times, who are faithful to those who are hard to be around, who can love them and pray for them, and we need them to journey with them as they are led towards Jesus. We don't need everyone with the gift of evangelism. We need lots of people with different gifts being used by God as part of the journey. The last implication is this. There will eventually come a point where people need to cross over from death to life. Um, in my first year of teaching, I was at a, a school up the coast and um, we had chapel about three times a week. And we had a chaplain there who was a fantastic guy. He believed in me so much. He was a theologian. He was not very good at connecting with high schoolers, but he was fantastic for me. And I would basically have lunch with him every day. And he just got beside me and he said, listen, how would you feel about speaking at chapel um, every couple of weeks, every three or four weeks? And I didn't know what I was doing. I'd never spoken anywhere in my life. And he just gave me the opportunity. And I would get up and I would talk about Jesus in very simple ways. I'd use a diagram or an illustration or a film clip or whatever it was. Very simple. And then I would invite people to become Christians. Now, in that environment, the the, the chaplain was extremely supportive. But some people were upset that I was asking people to become Christians. And they kept saying, listen... This whole process is that everyone's on a journey. Everyone's on a spiritual journey. We don't want to define things too much. We don't want to ask people to become Christians because everyone's on a journey. Now, I agree they're on a journey. This is a big, long process. Some people are walking away. Some people are walking too. Some people are like, no deal. Some people are open. Some people are going, who knows where they are. I agree with the journey. But the Bible is clear There is a moment where people cross over from death to life. Jesus said in John's biography, um, we read, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. Missiologists talk about what they describe as a theology of searching versus a theology of finding. He said, often what can happen in church is we talk about searching. Oh, we're reaching out to the community. We're running this event. We're running this program. We're running this, um, whatever it is, this course. We're running this experience. And it's really a theology of searching. Yeah, we want to be out there searching. But at some stage, we need to find people. Donald McGavran, the father of the church growth movement, said this. It is not enough to search for lost sheep. He wants his sheep found. Ultimately, there must come a point where people cross over from death to life. I just want to close today with a simple invitation. For some of us here, we are sure that there's been a moment where we've crossed over from death to life. For others of us, we're a long way back. And we might even be saying, no deal, I'm not sure why you're here. Maybe someone bribed you to come. Others of us are on the journey. We're in the process. We're trying to work out some of these barriers we're working through. But maybe there's some people here today who are saying, you know what, I'm not sure where I'm at. But maybe today is the day where you believe God is calling you to cross over from death to life. And I just want to give you an opportunity now. So can we have every single person with their heads bowed and their eyes closed?
And if you're saying today, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I need Jesus to save me. And I want to cross over from death to life. If that's you, just while everyone's got their heads bowed and their eyes closed, can you simply just put your hand up now and just say, Jesus, this is me. This is my moment to cross over. That's great. Jesus, we declare that we are sinful people. We're not just people who do the wrong thing, but we have a heart that loves sin and craves sin. And we need a saviour. Jesus, we believe you did not come to condemn, but to save in the best way we know how, Jesus. We trust in you. Save us now. We believe that you died on the cross to pay for our sin. We believe that you rose from the dead. Father, give us your spirit to come in us, make us new people, and adopt us as your children. Make us the people you want us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.